0: All right, Uh, as we get into part two, the path to prayer, uh, my friend Robert Watson is going to be preaching for us, and uh, he's from Sun Valley Community Church in the East Valley, Uh, the teaching pastor there, been there, I think, 15 years on staff, kind of grew up in the church. I'll let him tell you more about that, but uh, what I love about Robert is he's just a really faithful guy who loves Jesus and really wants people to meet, know, and follow Jesus, and so you're going to hear a lot about Jesus this morning, and so would you welcome uh, my friend Robert Watson to the stage? Yeah, quick uh, fact check. It's fourteen years, not fifteen years. But I, I fully intend to stay there another year, and uh, and so we'll just we'll just go with that. Again, my name is Robert. Really excited to be with you guys, and uh, and to be able to open up God's Word with you. And together, we're going to look at. Prayer. Now, this thing prayer is really fascinating because even though our country, if you kind of look around, people have kind of said, ah, I don't really know if I, if I really want to follow Jesus and I don't know if I really want to go to church or anything like that, but prayer is still pretty common in our country. In fact, Pew Research uh, did a study in it. They surveyed a bunch of Americans just all over the country, regardless of whether or not they went to church. And the stats that they found is that 55% of Americans say that they pray every day. And that could be like right before bed, could be meal, but but every single day, 55%. Uh, 23% said weekly or monthly. 21% said seldom or never. And then there's 1% that is missing. And if you're like a real like type A numbers person, you maybe caught that just there. 7% pray that they won't get caught speeding. Now, how many here have ever prayed that they wouldn't get caught speeding? Uh, okay, about... Oh, about 20% of us. You guys are a little more holy than, uh, than just the general average. 51% believe that God doesn't answer prayers for sporting teams to win. <laughs> 51% say, yeah, when you pray, God's not going to answer that prayer. Which means 49% of Americans... Believe that if we pray for our team to win, then, then God will, will do a solid and like you know trip the guy or make him just magically miss the tackle with seconds remaining in the Vikings game. You know there was a lot of people praying in Minnesota, apparently last week. Yeah, God has, God has clearly put this, this desire for prayer, and, and even people who would say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what I believe, I don't really go to church," uh, a lot of them would still say, "No, I still pray regularly. Yes, Lord go, they say, yeah, I still pray regularly, so what is this thing called prayer? And and, and it's something that God has clearly, he's put a desire in us to pray, or else it wouldn't be such a common thing for people to be constantly praying. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I would pray regularly, I would pray before bed, and uh, there's some really scary prayers as a kid, right? Like, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray, dear Lord, my soul to take. What in the world? Like, and then good night, you know, and like you go to sleep or whatever. And so, but as a kid, I I would pray regularly and I would always pray like, God, don't let that happen. You know, like that was my number one prayer. Don't don't make that what tonight is all about. But my prayers as a kid, and maybe you can relate to this, my prayers resembled this in many ways. And, and really what I was doing as a kid is I was just kind of wishing things to God. Now, if you don't know what this is, uh, this is a magic lamp from the sands of Arabia. <laughs> so I went No, I'm just kidding. I ordered this on Amazon. Uh, but it's, a, it's just a, an oil lamp. But, but it's kind of this thing where we think prayer is this like kind of magical thing between us and God. And that if we could just you know, pray in the right way and, and use the right words at the right timing and and get everything just right, then maybe, just maybe, God will kind of do this magic trick for us. And God will supernaturally kind of give us what we wish for. And as a kid, I got to admit, this was kind of like what my prayers were like. I go, Okay, God, I wish for this, I wish for this, I wish for this. And you just kind of hope and wish that God would come through. And then when I got a little bit older and I started doing something similar to the middle school group that's meeting, I started meeting together with other middle school leaders and, and had adults who kind of poured into my life and they started to challenge me and, and my understanding of prayer and saying, hey, what if, what if you actually, instead of just praying and wishing for things for yourself, Robert, what if you actually started praying for, for somebody else? It was revolutionary. What, what if you use prayer? Uh, it's called intercessory prayer, where you actually, you pray on behalf, you pray for somebody other than yourself. What if you started to not just focus on yourself in prayer, to start focusing on others? And so then I was like, all right. And then in college, I went to Bible college and I was like, I'm going to get super advanced. I'm going to get super advanced in my prayers. I'm going to graduate up from, you know, the genie lamp prayers and and all of that. I'm going to get super advanced. And so I decided I'm going to start hiking up a mountain every week, Sometimes three, four times a week, I'd hike up this mountain in Phoenix and, and I'd get to the top and I would pray at the top of the mountain. In case God answers prayers in the order that they're received, I figured this would give me the advantage over everybody else. And, and I would get out there and I, I would just be like singing songs and all that and I'd be praying. And I got to tell you, I would pray just wholeheartedly with all that I had. I'd pray, God, I'm going to Bible college right now. I really want to graduate with a 4.0 and be like the smartest kid in my class. And like, would you help that to happen? Would you help me? to graduate with a 4.0. And, and, and I would also pray for things like I was working part-time at this church and I was like, God, and I want to I get promoted to full-time at that church. And God, I really want to marry Megan. She might not know this, but God, can you just make all of that work out? And, 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 and can you make Megan just totally fall in love with me so that, so that we get married? And, and I would pray and I would just pour out my heart to God and, and then I'd hike back down the mountain. And then within a month, I got kicked out of Bible college. Aren't you glad I'm up here preaching right now? <laughs> Turns out you got to pay for your education. I hadn't paid them a dime in two years, and they're like, you can't pay us. And, uh, you, know, you haven't paid us. I was like, I don't, I don't have any money. And they're like, well, then you can't go to school here. So, uh, so then I ended up uh, leaving that school. Don't worry, I ended up graduating eventually. I went to seminary and all that. Uh, but I ended up having to leave there. And that same month, I got laid off from the part-time job at the church I was working at. They said, yeah, we're, we're, we got to cut off all part-time staff. So I got laid off there. And then Megan broke up with me, all in one month. And I was like, this thing is broken. I was on a mountain praying for these things. I was pouring out my heart to God, yet God didn't answer those prayers. And there's other times that, that there are more serious things than just, you know, I want to graduate here. Or God, here's my plans and wishes. There was a time I had a neighbor knock on my door. And uh, he didn't believe in, in Jesus, but he knew that I was a pastor. And so he knocks on the door, and he says, Hey, just wanted to let you know uh, it was his girlfriend who was living with them. They were older, and, and he said, Yeah, she's, she's got something going on, and they gotta, they got to take her in and do a biopsy on her lungs. And I, I don't really understand all this stuff, but I know you're kind of like a, a spiritual guy or whatever, and so would you, would you maybe pray for her? And I was like, Yeah, we'll pray right now. And so right there in my doorway... This guy who doesn't know Jesus, I got a hand on his shoulder, and he's got tears flowing down his face, and we're praying for his girlfriend that God would heal. And then, you know, he, he said thanks, we hugged, he, he left, and uh, I remember closing the door going, man, I know God's going to answer this prayer. I mean, why would he not answer this prayer? Because clearly, God's going to answer this prayer. This guy's going to end up putting his faith in Jesus. His girlfriend-wife thing that they had going on, she's going to end up giving her life to Jesus. And I was like, God, you're going to be glorified in this. They're going to see your power at work in this moment. And I was so excited because I knew just so much confidence in my heart. I knew God was going to heal her. And a few weeks later, he knocks on my door, and I open up the door. And again, he's got tears just down his down his face. I never forget, he looks at me and he says, I lost Carol. Didn't expect for that to happen, but when they did the biopsy, something happened and and she ended up passing away complications from that. I remember thinking, God, why, why wouldn't you answer that prayer? And if you're like me and you've been praying for a while, there's times you've Seen God answer prayers in ways that maybe you didn't expect. There's times that God's done incredible miracles, and then there's other times where you knew that God could do it. And in your heart, you thought God clearly should have done it, yet he, he, he didn't. So what is it about prayer? Is there, is there something that you and I are missing? Is there something that you and I don't understand? Is the Bible not clear on what prayer is? Because I thought, man, God would surely answer some of these prayers. Now, last week, Pastor Tim talked about the power of prayer. It was a great message. If you haven't had a chance, you can go on and you can listen to that online. This week, we're going to talk about the path of prayer. This week, we're continuing kind of where he left off, talking about the path of prayer. And we want to, what what is prayer? How do we actually do it? And if you were to take your Bible and you were to start at page one and just read all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, you would see hundreds of examples of people praying. Through Old Testament, through New Testament, hundreds of examples of people praying, but there's only one person in all the Bible who says, now let me actually teach you how to pray. Let me actually teach you how this prayer thing works. And the person who teaches us how to pray, his name is is Jesus. Which Jesus, if anybody understands prayer, it's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. God with the bod. So he's been on the receiving end of the phone call. And he also modeled prayer when he was walking this earth in flesh with us. He would pray regularly to God. So he's been on both ends of that phone call. He understands prayer intimately. And he says, let me actually teach you how to pray. And so he's gonna tell us some things that we think maybe are really important. Jesus is gonna go, ah, it's really not that big of a deal. And there's some things that that I kind of grew up learning, hey, this isn't really a big deal when it comes to prayer. And Jesus is gonna say, actually, this is important. Don't miss this. So if you guys have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start here in verse 5, because Jesus is kind of setting up what he's about to teach us. He says, and when you pray, he's assuming you and I are going to pray. As followers of Jesus, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward They've received the reward in full. He says, if your goal in prayer is just to impress people, he says, that's the best you're going to get out of it. If your goal is to be like, man, I'm just going to be like the best at praying, and I'm gonna, whenever somebody says, hey, who wants to pray for dinner? Ooh, I got this. And I'm going to use some big words, and I'm really going to impress everybody around the table. Jesus is saying, if that's your goal, is just to impress people, that's going to be your reward. There's so much more to prayer. It really doesn't have to do with the people listening around you. Verse six, he says, but when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, I grew up where prayer, is just something that you're just talking to God and you just kind of do it, you know, on the go or whatever. And and, and you can do that, and and God surely does hear us even when we're on the go. But Jesus says, hey, listen, uh, where you pray is actually important. Where you pray is actually important. That it's not just about, oh, I can just, you know, I can pray at all times. And even Paul writes, pray without ceasing, which means pray wherever you're going. But Jesus says, hey, location actually does matter. And here's why. We think of prayer as this kind of like transactional thing between us and God. God, I say some things, you know, I, I, I say it maybe in the right way. I ask you at the right time, and you give me something back. That's a transaction. And Jesus, right out of the gate, he's saying prayer, it's not transactional. Prayer is relational. So location matters because in relationships, uh, location actually does have an impact. See, uh, my wife and I, when we first got married, we used to spend tons of time together. We'd go on dates and we'd go, you know, find fun things to do. We'd hang out with friends. And then we had a child and another child and another child in three years. Three kids in three years. In fact, I got a picture of my family uh, here. This is, uh, this is my family. These are our three kids. Gabriel is about to turn 10. Corbin's eight. Emma's about to turn seven. And, uh, and so we had these three kids in three years. And my wife and I, we would always be around each other. But a lot of times we were like in the car, driving somewhere, trying to figure out schedules. Okay, what are we doing tonight? What are we doing for dinner? Who's watching who? Who's going where? And, and we were always just on the go. And what we noticed is we started to drift apart. Even though we were close to each other, we weren't having one-on-one time with each other. We were having, you know, just going through the day, okay, so I'm going to take the kids here, and then you're going to watch them at this time, and then, oh, we got naps at this time, or we got to do this here. And we were constantly just going through life, and we ended up taking an assessment, a marriage assessment. And we thought, man, we're, we're great, you know, everything's fine, everything's good. We took this assessment, and in the area of dating, it, there was these different kind of scores that you got, and out of 100 points, we scored a 10 on dating, And without realizing it, all this busyness of having kids, we stopped being with each other. We stopped dating each other and having quality face-to-face time. And that's how relationships work. If you're just constantly on the go, you might be near each other but totally distant. To have eyeball-to-eyeball time, that's how you grow in relationships. And Jesus says, listen, when you pray... Get eyeball to eyeball with God. How do you do that? You cut out all these other distractions. You cut out all this other busyness, and you get alone with God because prayer is relational. It says, go into your room and pray to your father who is in secret, and the reward is coming. One-on-one time with God. Now, Jesus, sometimes it's not necessarily a room. Jesus has given this example. Jesus, often, he would, he would go off. He'd either, you know, maybe go to a garden or he'd go to a mountainside or he would go to some solitary place. It says throughout the New Testament, Jesus modeled this for us where he would get away from the crowds. He would get away from the schedule and the itinerary and the busyness and the work and all of that. And trust me, he did plenty of those things. But he intentionally said, no, 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 I'm going to have some one-on-one time regularly in my schedule. Location matters because it's us saying, God, I want to be one-on-one with you. Verse seven, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is beautiful news for some of us. Jesus says, listen, the length of your prayer, it doesn't matter. I've known people that are like, man, you don't pray two hours every single morning? And I was like, nope, nope, I don't do that. And they kind of judged me for that, like, well, everybody who follows Jesus should be up for two hours before the sun comes up, and they should be praying, you know, kind of thing. And, I was like, man, that's really great, and I've, I've tried that a couple times, but, man, I, I get, like, 30 minutes into that, and I'm like, the end, Jesus. Like, I don't know what else to, to say here. And Jesus says, hey, the length of your prayer, it's not about the length of your prayer. It's not about the eloquence of your words, that God's all of a sudden, when you start using the big spiritual words in your prayer, God's going to be like, whoa, 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 angels, shh. shh. Listen to this guy. That's incredible. Just hey, come over here, Peter, Peter, listen to this guy, pray. Like, and Jesus says, that's not what it's about. It's not about these lofty, amazing, long prayers. Because it's relational. Sometimes the most precious prayers I've ever heard in my life come from my kids. And my kids, they'll pray, and I'm like, man, that's that's not even close to theologically accurate. But it's so sincere and it's so genuine. And as a dad, I'm like, that, that's precious to me. And when our heavenly father hears us just genuinely pulling stuff out of our heart and saying, God, this is just this is what's going on and I'm just gonna share what's on my heart. And yeah, I don't have it all perfect. I don't have the words right, but it's true and it's what's going on in here. I believe our heavenly father finds those Prayer is the most precious. Verse 8. says, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, here's what drives me nuts. God already knows what we're asking for. Jesus says, God already knows what you want. He already knows what you're going to ask for. Well, what's the point of prayer then, Jesus? If you already know all this stuff, like you already know all my requests and all the things that I desire, what's the point? If you're wondering the same thing, well, if God already knows, why do I even need to pray? Then you're on the verge of a breakthrough, of understanding this pathway, what God has given us for prayer, what prayer truly is all about. He says, don't be like them. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Verse 9. And what I'm about to read is so familiar, sometimes it can become unfamiliar. Even if you've never been around church, you've maybe heard this prayer. If you ever played on a football team, maybe you'd use this as like your war champ before you went out on the football field, and you'd pray the Lord's Prayer, and then you'd end, end with, for thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever, amen, let's go crush those guys, you know, and you go out on the field and you fight your battle. But it's so familiar, sometimes we, we forget the brilliance of what Jesus says. And right out of the gate, he says, Pray then like this. He doesn't say, Pray exactly these words. He just got done saying, Hey, the words that you use, that's not what is important. What he's doing here is he's given us kind of a framework for prayer. He's given us a framework for prayer. He says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. This is revolutionary. Jesus has these disciples scattered across this hillside, and he's preaching this sermon. And in the middle of this sermon, he says, now let me teach you how to pray. And and he he looks out over this group of ragtag people from the rural Galilee area, and they've all gathered, and there's thousands of them there. And he says, here's how you pray. The holy God who spoke the universe into existence who literally by his breath, stars are born. The God who spoke the cosmos, the God who breathed life into human beings, who gives us our value that all history points to him. This God who created the Milky Way, who created all the trillions of galaxies all over our universe. This God who spoke all of that, Jesus says, here's how you talk to him. You call him father, daddy. Jesus is saying prayer, it's not transactional. Prayer is relational. It's far greater than just getting stuff from God. Prayer is about getting God. The creator, not just the created, not just the stuff. It's about relationship with the creator. It's relational. Our Father In heaven. Hallowed be your name. This word hallowed means sacred, set apart, holy, that we are acknowledging this is the God who spoke the universe into existence. Jesus is helping us get some perspective, yet at the same time, he invites us to call him Daddy. So you're thinking about this framework that Jesus is giving us for prayer. At the bottom of the notes that you guys got when you came in, there's some kind of notes and thoughts for application. We're going to kind of throw some of those out as we go through this prayer. But at the beginning, Jesus says, start with declaring God's greatness. When you get alone with God, start by acknowledging who God is, declaring His, his greatness. The reason why that's a big deal is out of the gate. Jesus is flipping this idea upside down, saying, yeah, yeah, God, He doesn't fit in there. Itty bitty living space, right? When we declare God's greatness, we're acknowledging God's not here to serve me. God's not here to just give me my wishes, and if I just do this in just the right way, He's got to answer all of my wishes. No, no, no. God is great. I am a servant of him. It gives us perspective. When we get proper perspective, it changes our hearts. It changes our attitudes. Honestly, it changes our prayers. Uh, There's a lot of times where Lindsay and I in the past, where we've been in the middle of a conflict going, hey, we don't know how we're going to deal with this, and we're getting frustrated with each other. We're getting angry with each other. Now, this hasn't happened since yesterday, so we're getting better. Uh, But we have these moments where there's this kind of tension between us, and, and we'll try and solve it, right? We'll try and figure this thing out. And so I'll talk about, well, here's what I think we should do, mainly what I think you should do. And she'll say, here's what I think, Robert, you should do. And we'll kind of get to this end pass, and we're frustrated. And then she'll go, it's almost always her, she'll go, hey, how about we pray about this? Oh, gosh. Holy Lindsay, always wanting to pray, you know. And Fine, you know, you're right, you're right. That's what I tell people when I preach, so we might as well try it ourselves. Let's pray about this. And guys, when we start praying, in the middle of a conflict, and we go, God, here's what's going on. God, you're God. You can see what we can't see. We need your help. And we start praying, something supernatural begins to happen. We begin to see things in ourselves that we couldn't see before. We begin to see ways that we've been contributing to this problem that we were totally, blissfully unaware of until we began praying about it. And what we've learned over time, when, when you start including God in these conflicts, when you start including God through prayer in these challenges, Jesus isn't going to come in and take sides. Jesus is going to come in and take over. And again and again, we've seen God, when we start to pray in the midst of conflict, when we start to pray in the midst of challenges, the perspective changes. Our view, our understanding, our hearts change. Jesus doesn't take sides. Jesus takes over. And when we begin our prayers by acknowledging who God is, yeah, we have our requests, and God already knows them, Jesus said, and and we'll get to that here in a minute in the prayer. We have those things that we're asking for, but when we start with who God is, our perspective changes. When we realize who we're talking to, yet he invites us to call him daddy. Verse 10. And I believe this verse is really the heartbeat of prayer. This verse is really what prayer is all about. Verse 10. You're talking about God's. Your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom, your will. This isn't about me, it's not about my requests, my wishes, all these things that I want. No, 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 God, your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this acknowledgment when we get that perspective. This is the almighty God that we are talking to that he's invited us to talk to him. We get that perspective and then in that moment we go, "Okay, God, This isn't easy for me to do. This is one of the biggest challenges you and I will face in this life. I'm going to choose at this moment to surrender my will to yours. If you're taking notes, the first thing, we we declare God's greatness, but then the second part in prayer is we surrender our will. We surrender it and go, God, yeah, I have the things that I want. I have the things that I desire, but I'm going to open my hands. and I'm going to say, God, these don't come before yours. God, these things that I want, these things that I desire, they they are secondary to whatever it is you want, God. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. Jesus is helping us to turn our idea of prayer completely upside down. It's not God serves us. We flip that upside down. God, we serve you. We surrender our will. The goal of prayer, it's not to get God God, I have my desires. I have the things that I want over here. God, you're over here. Maybe if I pray hard enough, pray long enough, God, I can get you to move over here and I can get you to kind of get behind all of my desires, get behind all the things that I want, get behind all the things that I'm asking for. God, help me to graduate with the 4.0. God, help me to get that job. Help Megan to marry me. God, would you just come over here and get behind all of my plans, all of my ideas. The goal of prayer is for us to surrender All of those things and go, God, help me to align my heart with yours. God, whatever it is that you're doing in my life and the lives of the people around me, in the community that I live in, with my spouse or with my friends or with my kids or with my neighbors or with my coworkers, God, whatever you're doing in these areas, God, help my heart to align with your heart. Because when I do that, there is going to be power working through me, working in me, transformation going on around me. God, would you help me to align my heart with yours? And that's what prayer is about. God, it's not about everything that I want. God, it's what you want. Help me to be in line with your heart. Not my will, God, but your will. We surrender our will to his. Verse 11, now we get to the good stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. Finally, we can ask for stuff, right? Give us this day our daily bread. What I find fascinating about this example is it's not about all the things that we want. Daily bread, it's a nod back to the Exodus The Exodus, when God had rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and they were in the desert, and there was no food, there was no water. These people were in the desert, and they were going to die because people can't live without food and water too long, especially when you got millions of them all camped out together. And each day, God would provide just enough. Just enough for them to get through that day. And they would be afraid and they would be nervous and the next day they'd be going, I hope when we get up in the morning, there's more bread and there would be this stuff called manna, means what is it in Hebrew. This what is it would just be on the ground and the people would gather it up and then they started to try and gather up more to store it and then it would go bad and God would go, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 it's daily bread. Just enough for that day. And when the Sabbath came, yeah, you could take two portions so you didn't have to gather it on the Sabbath, you could rest. But he said, I want you to learn to trust God me. For 40 years of wandering in the desert, God was teaching the people how to trust him each and every day that God would meet the needs. Not every want that they had. I'm sure that they got tired of manna. In fact, they grumbled and complained about it. I mean, they wanted some, you know, at least some sriracha to go on it or like something to just spice it up a little bit. They, but God said, no, no, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need each and every day. I'm your God, I love you, I'm gonna take care of you, but I'm not gonna spoil you, but I'm gonna meet your daily need. Jesus says, when you pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me the manna to get through this day. There's some things that I need. God, would you support me? Would you sustain me? Would you help me to get through this day? And God, I'm gonna trust you each step of the way. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God, yeah, give us what we need. And God, please, you know that I'm rebellious. You know that I sin. God, you know that I mess up. I need your forgiveness. And I love that Jesus throws in as we also have forgiven our debtors. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the challenge that we're putting on ourselves when we pray this prayer, God, I want you to forgive me the same way I forgive this person who's wronged me. Some of us are secretly hoping God's not listening to that part. Saying, God, the way that I'm going to forgive these people who have hurt me, who have wounded me, God, that's how I want you to forgive me. Forgive me as I forgive them. And then Jesus ends the prayer. That third part of prayer is about acknowledging our dependence. So we declare God's greatness, we surrender our will. This is a framework that Jesus is giving us. And then we acknowledge our dependence God, I need you. For me to be breathing right now, God, I need you. Now, Jesus, if you look at Jesus' teachings on prayer, he says it's okay to ask for things. Because that's what's on our heart. It's okay to be real. And Jesus says it's okay to even be obnoxiously real. Like just keep asking, keep knocking on, door, knocking on that door, knocking on that door, knocking on that door, knocking on that door. And eventually he gives this parable, you know, this guy, middle of the night, hey, give me some bread, give me some bread. Finally, the guy's just gonna give him some bread just to get rid of him because he wants to sleep. And Jesus says, you should pray like that. Be obnoxious with your prayers, that's okay. Keep praying, keep asking for things. And here's the deal, sometimes God pulls back the curtain. We get this little taste of heaven on earth. See, God's in the business of healing, of restoring, of fixing what's broken. And when we come to him in prayer, there are these moments in life where God will peel back the curtain and he'll bring a little bit of heaven to earth through prayer. But it's not about God doing magic tricks for us. No, no, no. It's about us learning to trust him. Sometimes the answer to prayer, even though we think God should, sometimes the answer is no. No. Sometimes the answer is not right now, not in the way that you want, but I'm going to get to that. And sometimes the answer is yes. I told you about how I got kicked out of school and I got laid off from the job and I got dumped by Megan. Even though I prayed all those prayers, I ended up finding a great school. I ended up graduating without a bunch of debt, which I would have had had I continued at the other school. I ended up at this little tiny church called Sun Valley Community Church. Been there for 14 years now and seen God do incredible things through the ministry there. And then I met this girl named Lindsay, who was a big upgrade from Megan. And I had no idea she existed. And I look back and I go, man, that's so good. And early in Lindsay and I's marriage, uh, she had become pregnant and We had many friends that we had walked uh, alongside who had dealt with challenges with pregnancy and miscarriages, just heartbreaking stuff. And Lindsay was fairly well into her pregnancy, and I was doing a ride-along. My brother's a police officer. I was doing a ride-along with him, and we were just out, you know, having a good time tackling people and stuff. Not me, but him. I'd watch. And, And we were, you know, doing that, and I get this phone call, and it's Lindsay, and she says, something's wrong. You need to come home. And I could tell in her voice it was serious. And she had some medical things going on, but it was pointing to that she might be losing our first child. And we called the doctor, and this was on a Friday. We called the doctor, and the doctor said, there's nothing we can do about it. If she's losing the baby, then it just, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to run its course. We'll set an appointment for Monday, and we'll see you in the office. And Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Guys, I've never prayed so hard in my life. Begging God to do a miracle. And it's amazing how when things are going good, we're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll pray. But man, when life gets hard, when there's a crisis, when there's trials, man, that's when we pray the most. That's when we're like, God, I need you. I need you. God, help. You got to do a miracle. And I wish I could say, no, I always had this pattern of prayer, and, and it was always consistent, but it, it took this pain for me all of a sudden to every moment I had, God, would you please do a miracle? Would you please do a miracle? We go into the doctor's office on, on Monday, and we've been, I mean, we haven't slept. We're wrestling through all kinds of things. And we go in there, and the nurse, she's, you know, they kind of do the checkups when you first go in, and they kind of do the vitals and all that, and she gets the ultrasound, and she starts listening around for the, the heartbeat. And she's listening, listening, listening. It's just silence. And she keeps just moving around. She goes, oh, it's so weird. I can't find the heartbeat. She had no idea why we were there. She was just doing her. She goes, oh, I just can't find the heartbeat. Oh, it's weird. And then she gets up and she leaves. And I look at my wife and just tears streaming down her face. I just remember going, God, I trust you. I don't know how all this is going to work out. God, I trust you. And the doctor comes in and says, Yeah, she said she couldn't find it. Let me let me check. And she's listening around and then all of a sudden we hear that da 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 That super fast heartbeat, and I knew it wasn't my wife's that. It was our son's. And the doctor starts checking out and says, so what were the symptoms again and all this? And the doctor's going, there's no sign of anything. It doesn't make any sense, but everything looks perfectly intact. And they did some other follow-up We can't explain why you had the symptoms that you had, and we really don't understand. And I didn't need all the answers. I just knew, God, thank you. I believe you did a miracle. And in that moment, God did a miracle, and I believe that. And sometimes he does, and he peels back kind of that curtain, and we get a little bit of heaven on earth. But there's still a problem. See, Gabriel, he's in that picture that I showed you. He's about to turn 10. My son's still going to die. And even though I believe God did a miracle in that moment, my son's still going to die. The greatest miracle that happened in his life was not that moment at the hospital in the doctor's office. The greatest miracle in my son's life was the moment he put his trust in Jesus. And that my wife and I got to baptize him and celebrate his faith. Because the greatest miracle was not that he was healed or whatever happened that moment. The greatest miracle is that he put his trust in Jesus. And even though he's going to die one day, he's going to spend eternity with God in heaven forever. That God is his father, that he's been adopted into his family. And that is a prayer that God says yes to 100% of the time. When you and I say, Jesus, I need you to lead me. Jesus, I need you to save me, to rescue me. I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I need to trust in you. 100% of the time, he says, yes. And we are adopted into the family. That is the greatest miracle that you and I can ever experience, that you and I can ever receive. You realize even Jesus got to know when he prayed. We forget this sometimes. Because we look at him, and we go, God, you, you could. God, I think you should, but you didn't. And we don't totally understand, but we can trust God's heart that God is doing something greater than we understand, greater than we could kind of put our finger on. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was pouring out his heart. God, is there any way for this cup to pass? God, I, I, I don't want to have to go up on this cross and be mocked and be crucified and be killed. Is there any other way to rescue these people? And Jesus prays and prays, and he prays all night long. There's other times Jesus prays like a five-second prayer. Hey, God, I'm praying so people know that I'm talking to you. Lazarus, come on out the grave. And Lazarus comes out the grave, and you're like, that's it? Five seconds to raise Lazarus from the dead? Five-second prayer. Yet shortly after that, he spends all night praying. Why is that? At the end of his prayer, Jesus prays this, but not my will. God, may this cup pass from me. If there's any, any sweat and drops of blood there in the garden, goes. God, not my will, but your will be done. So how long do we pray for? The model Jesus gives us, we pray however long it takes for us to align our heart with his. Jesus went to the cross and he paid the penalty for you and me so that we might have life, so that, listen, we might have relationship with God. The reward of prayer is a relationship with God. Here's what Jesus says eternal life is in John 17, verse 3. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says eternal life, it's not about streets of gold and bling bling and all that. He says it's about knowing God. It's about relationship with God. And as we pray and we get on this path of prayer, we begin to grow in this relationship with God. And sometimes he peels back that curtain. Marriages are healed. Bodies are restored. Hearts are mended. God is in the business of restoring things. And one day he will complete his work and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. But until that day comes, we pray, we grow in this relationship with God. We model after what Jesus taught us, And we declare his greatness. We surrender our will. We acknowledge our dependence. Prayer reminds me that I'm not in control. But it keeps me close to the one who is. And we can trust him. He's good. He loves us. We're going to follow Jesus' example in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, you were good. God, the fact that we rejected you, the fact that we turned our backs on you, that we chased after all these things that you created, yet you're gracious. You're loving, you're forgiving. God, thank you for who you are. God, would you help us to see areas where our hearts are not aligned with yours? Would you help us to Let go our desires for the bigger picture of what it is you're doing in this church, what it is you're doing in this community, in this world. Would you help us to align our hearts with yours? And God, would you walk with us each step of the way and help us with the things that we need, help us with the things that are on our hearts? God, I believe there are people in here that are carrying some really heavy things on their hearts. And God, we just need your arm to be put around them. God, to walk alongside them. Would you help us each day, each step of the way? And in that, learn what it means to know you and to experience eternal life. Thanks for the invitation to pray, to be able to talk with you regularly. In Jesus' name, we all pray, amen.